This is your host, Stuart Douglas, coming to you from Israel. Technically in my bomb shelter. You know, it's got one of those heavy-duty doors. One window. I'm not surprised this bomb shelter has a window. This isn't, this isn't really all that great. I think I'd probably just step into the stairwell. I'm not really sure I should be talking about that if I want visitors. Still wait, I'm still waiting for some visitors to Israel. We've had one friend, Courtney's friend, but my family or my friends don't really seem to come out. Yeah, that's a guilt trip. Anyways, don't worry. I got my glass of wine here, technically my mug of wine, and uh, ready to get into it. As many of you know, it is Michigan Ohio State week. People lose their damn minds over this week, and rightfully so. I mean, they're coming into, I mean, the most important Michigan Ohio State game that I've seen. I mean, I'm trying to think of another one, um, at least since college. A lot on the line, but you know it's a rivalry week because things like what I saw on Andrew Dockage's Instagram start popping up. He was in class, and I assume at Ohio State doing his grad work and somebody gave him a Michigan hat with a red X on it because of course and honestly it's pretty funny I don't really care for those rival, rival rivalries too much but you know I've learned to enjoy them I guess <laughs> kind of uh, vicariously through people who actually care about the games but I am very I'm the most invested in the Michigan football team that I have, I have been in my entire life. I mean, the, the teams were fun to watch when I was in school, but like, I don't know, you were kind of rooting for Denard, and there really wasn't much else to, to root for. And people always ask me, they always ask all the players, like, they expect you to hate Michigan State and Ohio State, like the day you step on the campus at Michigan or any other school. But I, I wasn't, I didn't grow up in Michigan. I didn't grow up. With that hatred, I mean, I'm not the type of guy, I'm really not, I don't like really show my emotions anyways, but to like just magically have emotions appear for a school that I've never cared about at all growing up, I mean, it's just not going to happen for me. The only, the only really hate I had in that rivalry was, that grew was for Michigan State just because we hadn't beat them in so long, and they talked so much shit. So much shit. I mean, Draymond never shut up. Um, I mean, they had the right to it. They were really good. But I guess that got the most annoying just because of kind of who they were. And then you were so close to them all the time. So you always heard certain things um, from people constantly. And I always found it funny because I remember, I don't know who it was, but somebody told me that Draymond was actually pretty close to committing to Michigan or wanted to go to Michigan maybe before Amaker was fired. He was actually like, he would always come up to school and play in open gyms in the summer. And I thought that was hilarious because now, you know, he's all about, he always has scum. Uh, you know, Michigan State's playing scum. And I don't as soon as, as soon as he was saying that stuff and I heard and I found out that story, I was like, all right, you know, I'm all the way done with, with college sports. This is way too emotional for me. I just do not care. I mean, that's what makes him so good is his complete, everything of him is tied into to basketball. And I've just 
I could never be that way. But I'm very excited to watch the game. Not, I mean, I guess it is entertainment to see the, the buildup, but you know, I, I really am not excited to see the inevitable Twitter tweets and and different social media posts that keep, people keep talking about. Oh well, we beat you so and so many times, and the full rivalry is this record, and we have this many championships. Like, who gives a shit? Like, wh- why are you arguing about that with a stranger? When you're not going to convince them otherwise, like, start a diary, man. Get your emotions out that way because what you're doing is just is not healthy. Uh, I don't know how cathartic it is for you, but it's not, it's not really a good look. I'm actually way more hopeful for Michigan than I was at the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, that Notre Dame loss didn't, didn't help, but Ohio State's been looking... Not quite like I thought they would be. And, you know, they're vulnerable. I don't know what, what Urban Meyer is doing or what's going on with that situation. But I think Michigan has a real chance. I was talking to my buddy the other day. Shout out Nick Smith. We were talking about the offense, Michigan's offense. Because I think their offense is going to need to take a small step up if they want to even contend in the playoffs. And we were talking, and Michigan's defense is so good that we don't know why Patterson, why doesn't take more shots downfield? Why don't they throw a little more to open the game, take a little more risk? And I think they actually started to do that last game, if I was watching correctly. I mean, don't take anything. I, I, I mean, I take some of what I say for with a grain of salt, but because I, I haven't watched every single snap. But I don't think he needs a quite protect the ball the way he has. I think he can get a little more gunslinger in him because he has that ability. I mean, he has the ability to create on the run and out of the pocket like we haven't seen, like I haven't seen since I was in school at Michigan. And I think he has the receivers. I don't know what the play calling is like, but, you know, their running game is so strong. I think it would even open up their running game even more. Just a simple simple threat of it i mean it's the same concept in basketball when you have a three-point shooter who's you know can shoot from out deep it opens up so many things in the paint same concept you know stretch the defense throw it even just throwing it downfield has them prepared um or at least worried about about the pass about the deep pass and you can open up things in the intermediate passing game and in the running game for sure um, I'm not saying go full Texas Tech on them. Um, that's not going to work. It's not how they. It's not how they play. It's not their style. But I think in order to, maybe not in order to beat Ohio State, but to just contend with in the playoffs with whoever makes it. I don't know. I, I just hope they would pass the game more. I mean, I am biased. I just want. I'm more for scoring and entertainment when it comes to football. I don't really watch football with a lot of nuance um, or observing all the nuance of the game. I do that with basketball just because I played it for so long. and you know, I can't really help it, but with football, it's like pure entertainment. So, I mean, all this is really a moot point. It's all worthless. It's an all worthless opinion because, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you beat Alabama. Yeah, it seems impossible at this point. 
I mean, I guess Clemson stands a chance, but who the hell knows with Tua and that defense? Good luck. In the spirit of Ohio State, Michigan week, I'll tell my favorite Ohio State story that I have. It's not technically about Ohio State, but what happened after Evan Turner hit that shot on me. Many of you will remember it. I think it probably still gets played in some some areas of the Big Ten network. Um, but after that season, I'm sorry, it was the following year when I went home for the summer and I was out at a bar with a bunch of my friends, probably about 20, yeah, 20, 25 friends at a bar. And I sit down at a table with a TV under it. And it was the only, basically the only TV on. It was a sports bar. It was the only TV on, on the, any of the walls. And all of a sudden, Big Ten, it's on the Big Ten Network. And all of a sudden, Classic Games comes up, and it's that game. And it just jumps to about four minutes left in the game. And my friends start losing their shit. They start commentating the game, saying like, oh, I, I bet this shot goes in. And I actually had a good game. So, like, before the Evan Turner shot goes in, one of my buddies screams like, Stu, I bet you hit this three. Boom, nailed it. And then they, obviously, there's a timeout at the end before Evan Turner gets the inbound. And they start wagering on what's going to happen at the end. And they just think they're the funniest people in the entire world. And I'm laughing. Don't get me wrong. It was, it's still funny to this day. And it was funny in that moment. And it was funny kind of right after it. But... It just, it didn't stop. They were just keep, they just kept going. And eventually Turner hit that shot. And it was like, it was like they were watching it live and like erupted in complete surprise and entertainment. And yeah, I mean, somehow uh, they, they didn't take it light on me. Let's put it that way. And, and I guess, you know, when you're ribbing your friends, there's, there's no point to, to keep it light, you gotta go full go or, or go home. But I'll, st- I'll remember that till the day I die. I still think that's one of the funnier moments. Um, I think that played, God, that game played for years. I mean, it was years too long too. But pe- people love that game. I don't even know why. It was the middle of the round of the Big Ten tournament. I think they had to, it wasn't even like the semifinal, but it was Evan Turner and it was a half court game winner. And funny enough, I don't know if you, anybody cares or knew, but Ohio State the day before, actually Mark Titus wrote about this in a blog when he had that blog going in, the, in college. And they had a, a contest, like a half-court shooting contest. And P.J. Hill, I believe his name, was the best one on Ohio State. And Turner like couldn't make the half-court shot. I don't remember what the competition was, but Turner just couldn't hit it and was... Mark said he was the worst one out of the, out of the team. So PJ comes in, and remember PJ was in at the time. And I was really confused of why he was in, because he wasn't, wasn't playing. And turns out that's why he was in at the end. But Turner still went up there. I don't know if Coach told PJ to get the ball or what, but Turner being Turner, you know, he's player of the year. So he goes up, catches it, and, you know, the rest is history, I guess. I don't know. I'll probably be watching it. Big Ten Network in like 10 years and then it'll pop up and I'll relive it.
But they put us out of our misery that year. I mean, we were horrible. And basically, we had to win the Big Ten tournament just to go to the NCAA tournament. We didn't even go to the NIT that year. So they just put us out of our misery. I wasn't, wasn't too upset about it. All right, I want to talk a little bit about the NBA. And I can talk about the Pacers. The Pacers are looking all right. Still, what I said last time about Miles Turner, still not looking that great. He's going to have to make a huge jump. I mean, Sabonis is looking like they're starting five. And he's playing more minutes than Miles, scoring more points, grabbing more rebounds, shooting more shots, more assists. I don't know if he's playing better defense, but whatever. It's not looking good. But I want to move on to the Wizards, the dumpster fire full of baby diapers that is the Washington Wizards. Story just came out. John Wall cussed out Scott Brooks. They say he said, fuck you to Scott Brooks in the middle of an argument. Apparently Jeff Green and John Wall were going at it. Brooks stepped in. John went after Brooks. You know, Uber, or Beal stepped up, kind of gestured towards Ernie Grunfeld and said, you know, all this starts at the top with management. I mean, it's a mess, an absolute mess. And they're horrible with all that talent. They're just horrible. I mean, some of those contracts, they're, they're just not going to work out. Things aren't going to to end up being the way... That, that roster's going to get shaken up real quick. I mean, I don't... The funny part is, is Wall has the least tradable contract out of him and Beal and Otto Porter, even. People are saying Otto Porter Jr. has a more tradable contract and even more upside with his shooting and defense and, you know... There's a John's in a weird situation where he's an all-star and people would, you know, there's many teams that would love to have him, but you're kind of, you've seen kind of his body of work and where he's going, what direction he's headed. So when, when these teams, when bad teams make trades, you know, it's not really to be competitive. You're, you want to trade and then to get to the top where you're really contending. So to trade for like a John Wall, like, yeah, you'll be competitive, but I don't know how many GMs or coaches out there would think that they're going to really contend with John Wall as their starting point guard. Maybe some team that's really tanking and, you know, would want, you know, a couple first round picks to to take John Wall or at least one. Uh, I don't know who would be contending with that. It's a really weird situation. I don't know what happened with that contract negotiation. Why the hell the Wizards agreed to that? I mean, that was just dumb as hell. Escalating, escalating salary. Usually, usually you front load it, and that's more team friendly and more tradable at the end of the guy's contract if if things don't start working out. But they backloaded it, and time and time again, you've seen these backloaded contracts just get flagged. Essentially, nobody nobody wants to touch them. So they're gonna have to pay a hefty price to to really give up John Wall in terms of draft picks, I believe. But I, you know, you kind of saw this coming um, with the turmoil that they've had with Beal and John Wall themselves, and with Wall and Gortat, and you know the clashes that you kind of heard with Brooks and players, with Scott Brooks and certain players. But I had a buddy, a teammate actually this year, who 
said he was in college and his eyes were opened up to the NBA when the Wizards came into their facility and practiced. And so the guys were watching him because, you know, it's an NBA team and he played at, uh, I think, North Florida. So, you, you know, you're, these are some of the best players in the world. You want to watch them practice and, you know, soak everything in. And you're super interested in what's going on. And I don't know what was going on with the Wizards. They were in the middle of a road trip or, or a long stretch of games. But he said that the Wizards were practicing and that Beal and John Wall were just having a dunk contest on the sideline. He was like, what the hell is this? You're like, I thought you guys were supposed to be practicing. You know, it's the highest rung of professionalism, professional basketball. But that's the NBA, man. You play so many games that... Yeah, you're going to take days off. I mean, it's Kobe's infamous for not practicing, especially towards the end of his career. I mean, I know John's much younger than when Kobe was doing that, but guys can do that all the time. They don't have to practice that hard. And it was a couple of years ago, and they were actually pretty solid. So, you know, they're feeling good. They're getting the rest. But it's funny to see, you know, you're a college kid, and you're you're getting your ass busted in practice basically every day. And... Coaches are on you all the time. You have to pay attention to every single little detail. And even if you're out sitting on the sideline, you know, you're not sitting down. You're paying attention. If you're hurt, you're still paying attention. He wants you out there doing rehab, watching practice. And then you come, you watch an NBA practice and Beal and, and John Wall are just doing, having a dunk contest. Not even pay attention to practice. It's, it's hilarious. But people don't really understand that lifestyle. And you can't until you're in it. You know, it's in college, college basketball is about practice and improving as a team, like day to day. And a lot of that, there, there's a lot of that in the NBA, you know, you know, guys still watch film and try to improve their deficiencies and work on those things. And, you know, training camp is not easy for those guys. That's for damn sure. But once you get in the season, it's about games. You're you're winning games, and I hear stories all the time where guys like barely work on their game in the middle of the year, and you work on your game in the summer. But you get into the season, it's like you know, I'm not even going to go to shoot around in the mornings, and that's shoot arounds for college and overseas as well. That's like you have to do it. Coaches get fidgety if if they don't get it, and. And then I read an article where Greg Popovich is like trying to convince players to not go shoot in the mornings of games. Like not do shoot around. He'll cancel them. I heard some coach, maybe it was D'Antoni had to convince Chris Paul that shoot arounds were just not worth it. And it's a complete contrast to everything that most people know about basketball and hard work and results. So I think that creates this gap between the fan and the NBA, just for simple understanding of what's going on behind the scenes and how you win games. I mean, more of that stuff's coming to light now with social media and, you know, more reporting and, you know, guys being a little more outspoken and like, you know, stories like these coming out, but not only coming out, but being spread wider than they ever have been before. So, I don't know. I, I really do think that creates a big gap between the college fan and the NBA 
uh, from the, the college fan and the NBA experience. Because they just don't quite understand what they're watching. They're like, it's not basketball. Well, yeah, it is. It's the highest level of basketball. It's just different. You, you just have to let go of your expectations and enjoy it in a different way. And that's how I have to do when I watch college basketball. I don't enjoy college basketball the same as the NBA. It's not the same talent level. I mean, sometimes what plagues the NBA in, in some of these college fans' eyes is that it looks too easy because they're so damn good. Like, to watch these guys just nail open jumper after open jumper is like, it seems easy, but then you watch a college game and there's the same shots and they're missing them at a much lower, uh, or they're missing at a higher rate. They're, they're making them at a much lower rate. So the game looks like harder. You know, like defense looks tougher in college just because the offense isn't as good. And, you know, the court's spread out in the NBA. You have defense three seconds. There's certain things to help with scoring. And, you know, some of the high scoring right now in the NBA is probably not doesn't look too good in, in the eyes of college fans who are adverse to the NBA. So there, there are a lot of factors, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting gap there between expectations of what basketball is and what it, what they think it is and what it really is behind the scenes. I mean, I've only heard stories, you know, I, I probably would be shocked to be on an NBA team and see what ha- really happens behind the scenes even though I'm completely open to all of that. I mean, I'm still, you have to experience it and to really see what it's like. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of, there's always be a gap there just because of that. All right, time now for my favorite part, pet peeve of the week. Last week it was something Will Kane said about leadership and Odell Beckham Jr. And, you know, I said I could probably fill one of these segments Fill this segment with something Will Kane says probably every day. But I'm going to give him a break. I'll come back to him next week because, I mean, it's too easy. It's low-hanging fruit. But this week, I was watching, excitingly enough, a women's national team game between Israel and Portugal. And there was about 30 seconds left. Portugal came down and hit a three to go up four. And the the announcer says, they inbound the ball and Israel inbounds the ball and starts dribbling up the court and the announcer goes, FO timeout, FO timeout. Like, wh- where's the timeout? And they came down, they scored, they came back, Portugal hits one free throw and then, then Israel calls a timeout with 10 seconds left down three. But I was annoyed because we just expect coaches to call a timeout whenever it's like a two or one possession game at the end of a game and they're down or up, either way. But mostly if you're down, we we just expect coaches to call a timeout and drop a play. And instead, Israel came down, they didn't call a timeout, they came down, got a good look off of a ball screen, and got a wide open layup, actually, to put them down two and make it a one possession game. And I get annoyed because they would have just dropped the same exact play with a timeout, but they would have allowed the defense to set up and organize. These coaches call these timeouts, 
you know, 10 seconds left, you're down three or down two. And, you know, it's a full timeout, 60 second timeout. They're sitting over there for over a minute and they come back and they just run an ISO or a ball screen. And I know ball screens are prolific now in basketball, top to bottom, any age group, or any level. But, you know, all you're doing, calling a timeout and running the exact same play that you would have if you didn't, you're just letting the defense set up and get organized. If you're the defense, there's 10 seconds left, and you're up two, okay? And the ball's inbounded. Like, the ball's live, okay? Uh, you know, it was after you guys, maybe you, you hit a shot, you go up two, you're coming back down on defense, and your mind is a little scrambled, naturally, okay? Your adrenaline's pumping, your heart is pumping. You're trying to figure out stuff on the fly, like, okay, where's my, my man's here? Uh, are we going to switch there? Where is the big to, you know, you know, where is everybody on the court? Um, you know, what's our switching pattern? Yada, yada, yada. When you get time to set up after a timeout, and let's say you got a high ball screen happening, and you set up your guy guarding the guy in the corner, you know exactly what's going on. Like, you're, you're chill. Like, you can go, the, you went to the timeout, you sat there, you went over the defensive strategy with your coach. You know exactly what you're going to do when the play happens. You know exactly where you're switching. You know exactly where the guys are now on the court. When you come down without a timeout and the and the ball's just coming straight at you, right? They're, the other team's pushing it. You know, you, your surroundings are a little mushy. And that's an advantage for the offense. You want the defense scrambling. You want a little more of a guessing game for the defense. I think it's the same in, in, in football, particularly. Uh, somebody tweeted at me the other day, it was like the same as football. You know, you come, you set a call a timeout and you just run out the middle. And you just let the defense stack the uh, the defensive line. And it's hilarious when you when you watch a no-huddle offense, like, oh man, this no-huddle offense is amazing. You know, it's well, you know, they're getting whatever they want. Yeah, no shit. Defense has no time to set up. That's why sometimes you see an offense run no-huddle in football, and they get a bunch of passes in a row, and the defense has called timeout just so they can get a personnel change or a breather or a strategy change. It's the same concept in basketball. You don't need to be calling a timeout if you're running an ISO or a ball screen. And this is a little different. I mean, this applies a little more to the NBA when you have guys have skills that just make plays like that. High school, maybe not as much. I think college just still applies, and I see this all the time. You know, if you want to draw up a real play, all right, you know, I watch a lot of great coaches do it. Uh, Brad Stevens obviously comes to mind. He has fantastic half-court out-of-bounds sets that he's gotten buckets on at Butler and, at, and with the Celtics. Those are documented. I think you can, look, you can see those on YouTube. If you want to drop a play like that, fine. Go for it. I highly suggest it. But if you just want to run a ball screen or an ISO, I mean, you're just you're, you're asking to lose the game. You've just lowered your probability of winning or going to overtime substantially i think i mean i would be very interested to look at the numbers i hope five i wish that 538 i wish i had the resources to, to check that out but I, I can't imagine you have a higher success rate after a timeout than you do if you just let some guy go full speed you know going down the court obviously this depends on personnel you know if i got russell westbrook hell yeah i'm running all the way down the court 
I'm not calling a timeout. Give that man the ball and let him go to the rim. What else, I mean, what the hell else are you going to get? You're going to suck in the whole defense and, and you know, he's going to get a kick out. Or if they don't, if they don't grab the paint, I mean, he's going in for a dunk or a layup. So it, it all depends on your personnel. Um, and, you know, how good you are at drawing up this place. Not all coaches are that good at in-game, random plays, you know, you would think that they have an array of options to go over at the end, but you don't. You know, you have your plays, your your sideline plays that you run, um, that you learn from the first day of training camp, but sometimes those don't always work, especially when you're at the end of the game and teams are switching everything. You need to you need to switch up your game plan. You can't just run away screen after away screen and they're switching everything denying and then you can't get the ball. But anyways. I could rant about that forever and strategy at the end of games. And some of it has been documented, you know, with ISOs. ISO is the worst thing you can do at the end of games, even though it's the number one thing we glorify. We glorify Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant hitting a game-winning shot in ISO. And time after time, it's shown it's the worst thing to do. But you have some of these egos sometimes, and, you know, it's, it's hard to not give those guys the ball because people are emotional creatures and you don't you don't give that superstar the ball he's gonna be pissed and there's gonna be hell to pay if you lose and you don't give him the ball um, we, we just have those expectations so we, we it's funny it's not it, it's like kind of the f- most fun to watch and then it's not we, we complain all the time about ISO basketball and then we glorify the hell out of it with Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and you know, the the end game competitiveness. Like, give me the ball. It's like, what? Why? Why? You you're gonna you're more likely to miss it than if like I drew up a play. You know, a, a better half court set where there's moving parts, and then we maybe, maybe we can get you the ball within those moving parts. But Christ, I don't know. It's one of the most frustrating parts of basketball, and there's like this massive disconnect even at the highest level between what works and then what we just expect to happen and we just we get comfortable with what we expect to happen and we let it dictate how we act in sports i mean in, in life in general but in sports for sure you, know, you just regurgitate whatever you've seen before and that's why it took so long to for the game to rev, to be uh revolutionized for steph curry to revolutionize the game I mean, a three-point shot, I, if, if you were a smart person, if, I'm sure there were people back in the day when the three-point shot came out that knew what the math was. I mean, people have shot better and better as the year have gone on, years have gone on. And, you know, there's a point where, you know, it's easy to figure out the math, where shooting threes is much more valuable than shooting twos, especially the mid-range two. And people had to have known that. Some people had to have known that, but that just wasn't the way you played basketball. You know, the point guard position wasn't supposed to shoot the ball. The center is supposed to be tall. Like all, all these certain things that are supposed to happen. And yet it took until the Warriors to come along for people to be like, oh shit, yeah, maybe 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 we shouldn't stick to that old, the old way of playing the game. Hey, don't get me wrong, if you have a shack, yeah, okay, take a shack, throw the ball down low. All right, and go from there. No problem with that. 
But to recognize the value of three-pointers and layups and cutting out, the value of simply just cutting out mid-range shots, I mean, it's nuts to think how long that really took to figure out. But, I mean, I kind of blame Michael Jordan for that. He was the mid-range king. And in today's world, I mean, you take that style, you know, it's just tough. I don't care how good MJ shoots it or how good that Bulls team was. It's just tough to win a game playing that way against, say, the Warriors. Now, that's the highest level. I mean, I think the Warriors team um, last year and two years ago were the best teams I've ever seen in my life. But... Just a simple style clashes. I mean, one is definitely superior to the other, and that's been mathematically proven. So, I don't know. I don't really know how you argue against that, but leave it to sports fans to to do that. I mean, you can argue about damn near anything. All right, we're going to end it with some Twitter questions. A little disappointing this week. Not going to lie, although I was a little surprised last week that I had so many questions, so many fun random questions. But nevertheless, we persist. First question and another question kind of coincide. So worst Thanksgiving side dish is one question. Another question is, what does your mother cook at Thanksgiving that you can't stand but won't tell her? I'm not sure... Well, my grandma does most of the cooking, from what I remember. But it's been years since I've gone to a Thanksgiving. I mean, I I, don't, I barely went to them in college, I think. No, I went to them in college. But, I mean, I haven't been to a Thanksgiving in at least seven years. So, but easily the least favorite dish is the cranberry sauce. And I guess it doesn't technically count as a dish, but I'm counting it because people freak out about it. And it's... It's just absurd. I will give it credit. And I did my research. I'll give it credit. It was a part of... Cranberries were a part of the first Thanksgiving uh, in the 1600s when the later named Pilgrims came over. So cranberries were a part of the dish, were a part of the meal. And so, I mean, I guess it has its place there. Although Thanksgiving is a little too loosely based on the real events of what happened. So... You know, I don't think it's worth it. And if you like it, I kind of think you're just a corporate lackey and you're just kind of going along with what you've been told. And I don't really trust you. Next question. Should I drink while running the turkey trot? I'm going to go ahead and, and guess this is a 5K. So, yeah, yeah, you should. I think that sets you up great for the rest of the day. Showing up lit to Thanksgiving, I think is an underrated experience. I've yet to do it, but I'm definitely, I definitely consider it. And if you're, if you're running, I'm just imagining running and just, you got it. You're running with like a Gatorade bottle full of, you know, well, if you're smart, and this is what we used to do in high school. Take orange Gatorade, put vodka in it, boom. Nobody knows a bit of damn difference, you know, until they come up to you and smell the vodka on your breath. But, yeah, you could be running out there with the orange Gatorade. You got vodka in there. I don't know how you could stomach that running. 
the burn. But if you could run the full, I, I imagine somebody out there has done it. They run the full distance with like a mixed drink in a bottle, maybe like a Captain and Coke. Now, if you're walking, that's easy. Yeah, of course. I mean, you can keep a solo cup if you're walking it. Get real fancy with it. That's easy. But but I, I, I want you to... I want to see somebody run the turkey trot with a drink in their hand. Okay, two more questions. When throwing a pumpkin pie, do you use the same principles of physics to guide your aim as when you throw a three-point shot at the basket? Now, I'm assuming... You're throwing a pumpkin pie. I don't know why you're throwing a pumpkin pie. But you can throw a pumpkin pie like a Frisbee. That'd probably be better. Depends how flimsy. I mean, if it's still in its, you know, in its, uh, maybe it's like an aluminum casing or in some type of dish. You could throw it like a Frisbee. And if it's out of it, it's just a pumpkin pie. Yeah, I guess you're going underhand. I guess you're going shot put. I guess that is somebody, some people's basketball shot. You know, more of a shot put, but yeah, I, w- I wouldn't call it basketball physics. And if you're throwing it in somebody's face, which I recommend, uh, yeah, you're just winding it up almost like a football, almost like you 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 don't know how to throw a football that kind of that kind of form. Last question: How does anyone beat Duke in basketball? Is there hope? Um, you hope the rules change. I mean, I'm not going to consider injury here, but like, other than that, good luck. They're too athletic. They're too skilled. I mean, Zion's terrifying. Zion's terrifying on defense. I think most underrated part about his game is how terrifying he is on defense. You know, he's one of those guys that makes plays in the NBA on defense, but there's way more space in the NBA. You can get around him in the NBA. In college, he just seems like he's omnipresent in the paint, like... Any offensive rebound, he's going to go up and get it. If you're in the paint, good luck. You better throw that thing up real high or get it off the glass real quick, or you better be athletic enough to dunk it on quick. I mean, I don't know. It's just absurd. I've never seen anything like it. LeBron was doing stuff similar, but... Now I will say, we forget how bouncy LeBron... We know LeBron's bouncy, but if you watch like his early years, like the first three or four years, if you go watch some early highlights, he was jumping so high. We forget how high he was really jumping. So, yeah, it's fun to watch Zion in college. It was fun to watch those highlights of him, you know, ruining the private little 5'8 white kids at the private school, ruining their basketball careers and, and their outlook on sports in general. And all of their confidence. And somehow it's that kind of domination has persisted in college basketball. We'll see what happens when they get into the heart of their their schedule in the ACC. You know, start playing. Although it was kind of pretty similar against Kentucky. So I say that and, you know, they can dominate anyone. But I don't know. We'll see. It'll be interesting. I'm waiting for him to get to the NBA. I mean, it's fun to watch them in college. But, you know. We talk about how great he can be in the future, and we're not going to see that until he gets in the NBA. And so, you know, I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts, but in five years, I'm ready to see what happens in about five years. It's going to be very, very interesting. I kind of underrated him um, in high school. That was just because of who he was playing and the amount of 
mixed high school mixtapes out there that guys just looked unbelievable in in high school and then just didn't translate to college, but he's translated it from day one. Okay, kind of the last one, but not really a question. P.S. Shout out to Zen Small. Love you, Zen. Favorite coach ever in basketball. He says, of course we all know your dad is the real cook in that family, Spam and Eggs. And this is true. My dad cooks a mean Spam and Eggs. You ever seen a can of Spam? It is not the most appetizing thing when you open it. In fact, in fact, when I first saw it, I didn't think it was real. I thought it was like a gag gift type of situation. But it's real and it's delicious. And with eggs, it is just the perfect compliment and toast. And my dad would always make them. We'd go camping. We'd go camping with the Smalls. You know, every every spring break, and my dad would make it, and it was, it just brings back so many memories. So simple, yet so delicious. But that's the that's the power of food for you. So that's the podcast for this week. Appreciate you listening. A little disappointed with the questions. Get any more? Got any thoughts, comments, concerns? You know how I'm doing with the podcast. I want to know because I'm really, really want to take this. And build it up, you know, not to something huge, but I want to build up my my speaking abilities and my my podcast abilities. Um, you know, it's really starting to get to the time where I think about what's going to happen after basketball. And radio interests me a lot. And I love to talk about sports. I love to express my opinion. And, you know... My ego thinks that I bring an interesting perspective to things. So, you know, it's always interested me. And I, and I watch people do it throughout the years. And I, and I think it's fun. It's a fun way to, it's a fun career to have. I mean, people can tell me differently. And, you know, I want to go back this summer. And I want to go into the radio shows and see what it's like. You know, I want to go in the studio with Dockage and, and see what it's like and, um, my friend Kevin Bowen and kind of experience it that way but you know I really want to start taking this more seriously so if you have any real suggestions tips anything literally anything I am open to it and, you know I know it's not the greatest thing ever and um, so I'm just glad people just listen to it and so yeah let me know I really appreciate it so that's it for for this for this episode I will see you next week. I'm going to keep this a weekly thing now um, and really, really be persistent with it and consistent. So, yeah, see you next week.